Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When God says that they're storing up wrath, when someone just rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord, every rejection you're going to give an account for. Every single rejection. Who wants that when you could receive the Lord and, and have a clean slate? The person that received the Lord, God said, all your sins are washed away. It's gone. You are, you are clean Jew. Now when the him who's able to present you faultless before the Lord, that, that's what God does for the believer. But for the person that rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects, God said, you are, it's like storing up that wrath. This is getting heavy. It's going to fall one day. Have you ever ignored something you knew was good for you and instead built up bitterness and rage towards it? It's easy to continually push something or someone away, but with that comes baggage. Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you need to lay down your burdens and accept God's love. He will never stop pursuing you. The more you reject him, the more you build up resentment, which won't last. He sent his son in order for you to be washed clean, follow him, and be set free. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God says, now that I had you marry somebody that wasn't really qualified wife material from the get-go, now that you married her and took her and then now she's been unfaithful in the marriage and you were dealing with that, now she left you and she's out there right now selling herself. I want you to go get her back and take her to be your wife. And God says, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. So I look at that story over here and say, you married a prostitute? God told you to marry a prostitute? She cheated on you. She had kids that weren't yours. Then she went back. She's out there on the street right now. Get you a divorce. God said, no, go get her. Go get her and take her back. Just like how I love you. And so when I read forbearance, guys, I knew you weren't great when I picked you, but I picked you. And now that I got you, not perfect, but I want you. And he went, he went and bought her back. I mean, he had to go buy his wife and she was cheap. And I'm not being funny, but when you look at what he had to buy her with, her, her value was not great. He had to go purchase his own wife back. And God said, that's how I love you. That I come after you, I pursue you, I buy you back. And for anybody here that's walked with the Lord, walked away and come back. That's what it's like. God says, forbearance. I got room for you to come back. Who else does that? Who else has a God that will do that? That will say, in the, I mean, right now you're doing what you're doing, but if you'll come back, I'll take you. But God does that. He takes us back. And we know that. And some, some people take advantage of that. Some people kind of, they abuse that. But it really should minister to us that God will take you back, that you can come back to him at any point, that you haven't fallen so far, that you haven't gotten so deep out there that God won't take you back. He'll take you back. Hosea took Gomer back and God said, that's how I love you guys. It's a love. I love you, period. You haven't earned it. You really can't mess it up. I love you. So that's the forbearance. That's the, the goodness of God deals with my, my past sins taken care of. The forbearance of God deals with my, my current life of sin, that God's still there to minister to me in that. And then the last one in verse four says the long suffering. And this has to do with the fact that God's kindness in regard to my future. God, God knows that I'm going to continue to fall short. God knows that there's long. The word long suffering is two words, and they mean just that to suffer for a long time, waiting on people to get it. Waiting on people to, to, to really get it. Guys, I'll suffer long with you. He's long suffering. And these are all things that we struggle to do for other people, but it's been done for us. Who here has struggled to, to suffer for a long time with someone else's mess? Most of us. 
You know, now if you suffering with my mess, I, you know, I, I, I expect you to get over it. You say, right. You know, but when it's other people's mess, we struggle with that. We struggle to be long suffering, to suffer. You know, this is the fifth time. I'm sick of this. You need to get it together. But God says, no, how many times? We ain't even counting no more. Everybody here tell the truth. Can you even count? I mean, how long has God's long suffering been with you? Can you put a number on it? No, it's uncountable. Can't count it. But he's still, he's still there loving you. So God says, this is where the word should hit us. Like when I meditate on what God's done for me, God says, this is why you can't be judging. This is why you can't be harsh and condemning towards other people. This is why God doesn't accept it. Because God's like, look, look at what I've done for you. Now I want you to at least be, you could never, you guys in this room, nobody here could ever sin against me to the degree that I've sinned against God. You could sin against me. You could hurt me real bad. You could do really difficult things. But my sin debt with God is so deep. You couldn't even, you don't have the capacity that you can't even catch up. And so God said, whatever they do to you, whatever someone else has done, look at what I've done for you. I want you to meet people with that same thing. And so a believer that understands this should just end up being very gracious, merciful, loving individual. You guys agree? And so that's God's goodness towards us. Again, in, in those three words, the, his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering. And then this next thing, it says not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Again, my flesh, my mind says, you know what? It's going to be, you know, people going to get it. That's going then they're going to get it. Then they're going to finally repent. Anybody here feel that way with some people you think they just need to get it. And when they when they finally when God spank them real good. And for some people, that's what it's going to take. But do you know that spankings are also the goodness of God? Some people don't know that. God will spank you in goodness. That's not a bad thing. Some people think God's punishing them. God, that's actually if God spanks you and it stops you, saved you. That's the goodness of God. Anybody here that's been under the discipline of God, it's a good thing. Because he only disciplines those that are his. He don't discipline that other guy's kids. The non-believers don't get the discipline of the Lord. God said, but I chase in mine. Those that bear my image, those that have, I, I, I spank my kids. If you've ever been disciplined by the Lord, it should tell you two things. Uh, the encouragement, I belong to the Lord. Uh, the second part, you shouldn't want to do it again because God's discipline ain't no joke. You don't want to fall under it. But even in that, even in God's spanking, it's a good thing. Because God is saying, I'm not going to just let you go. I'm not going to just let you just go out there and ruin. I'm, I'm going to intervene with a spanking. And for anybody here that's got kids, you know, I, I got four and uh, I'm, I believe in the Bible. I believe in spanking my kids uh, when need be. Um, do I enjoy it? Never. I've never enjoyed spanking a kid. You know, I was just, you know, we were talking to Harmony the other day in the presence of my youngest kid. BJ has gotten, you know, he, he probably have gotten the lion's share of spankings in my house. Harmony was the unique child. She was like, she got two spankings in her lifetime, you know. And so BJ heard that. He said, two? Two? And he was, he was flabbergasted. I'm like, he said, two spankings? I said, yep, I can remember both of them. And, you know, I'm just sharing, you know, sharing that with him. And he just couldn't believe he fell over. You know, I said, yeah. And, and they were both really young. And, um, and she got it, you know, got them a couple spankings. And, you know, the, the last one I remember, she was really, I mean, she was small. And I remember I was in the bedroom and they were in the living room and Mika told her to do something. And she said, no. And I don't I don't know. But y'all do how y'all do. But my kids can't say no. You, you can say, OK, you can, you can be you can just start moving slow, but you're not going to say no. And she was like, no. And I was like, I jumped up out the bed. And I went. And I said, what did you say? So I said, no. 
I said, why did you say, I don't want to do it? I said, we're in the room. And I, I took her in the room and gave her a spanking and talked to her afterwards. And, I, and she never did it again. <laughs> it was like a, you know, more sophisticated now. You know, they, they won't say no. They just take a long time to do it, you know. But, um, you know, in that, that was, that was, that was, I mean, that was a difficult thing to do, right? But what if that had become a habit? What if she had at three, four was telling us no? And that would have grown into five and six. Heck no. And then she'd be the teenager and I'm going to stop right there. You know, like, what would that have looked like progressively? You know, it would have been good. But just the fact that she understood you don't have that option. It was good for her. And we did that in love. Uh, we love my babies, you know. Um, so the Lord said, man, when I discipline you, it's love. I care about you. My discipline is a demonstration of my care for you. My concern for you. Um, it would be a scary thing if there were no discipline. If God said, I just, you just do whatever you want. No consequence. You have to look up and wonder if, if you're his. But if you've been spanked and disciplined and you don't have to wonder, you know. Uh, and I say it like this. If I go to Toys R Us, I see another kid falling out. I look at them kids like, man, I mean, that's ridiculous. And I remember when my kids were little, they would look like, ooh. If that was me, oh, they need, you know, they knew that that was supposed to be. You can't do that. You can't fall out when somebody tell you no. But I would just observe it. They ain't my kids. I don't spank them. I don't discipline them. I don't say I laugh. You know, I just, that's, that, that's crazy, you know, but that's not my kid. That's I don't. There's no interaction. I don't walk over and say, boy, don't talk to your mother. That's, that's between y'all. I didn't raise you. I didn't bring you. You're not your last name. Not Buffington. I don't get to say nothing. Um, so the Lord chastens those that are his. And even in that. It's love. Uh, it's God loving us, caring for us. And so God says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Uh, his goodness could come in discipline. And many times the goodness just described where God's been merciful and you don't deserve it. God's anybody here ever just been messing up and then God do something good for you. God says, man, and, and that's what he uses. God says, sometimes it's going to be my goodness that's just going to overwhelm you uh, where you just say, I, I just got to repent. I got it so good. I just need to obey him. I just need to humble myself. Look how good he is. I'm, I'm, look how good he is and how bad I am. When someone's good to you, while you being bad, your badness look even worse. And so with the Lord, many times you be cutting up and you know it. You ain't doing devotions. You're not living right at home. You're not doing none of things you're supposed to be doing. And then God just go, bam, bless you. And you'd be sitting there like, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to do better. You know, you just know I, I just not right, you know. That's many times, God's, God's, I'm going to just bless you. I'm going to just be good. And if some of y'all head so hard, God be good to you while you bad, and you get worse, and he got to spank you. But that's good, too. So, you know, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so, Few things. When we look at the judgment of God in verse two, it told us that the, the judgment of God is according to, to truth. In verse three, the judgment of God is inescapable. He's not going to escape it. In verse four, it's the goodness of God that brings us to a place of repentance. But look at verse five. It says that for those that are living this way habitually, you're actually treasuring up wrath. You're treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. For those that just resist God in the spite of all this. God said, it's like storing up wrath. One of the commentators that I read had a story and it, it was a banker from the 1800s. And this banker had decided that he was going to steal a silver dollar every day. 
And he knew how to work the books and get it to where he could get away with it. And he did it for weeks and months and years. And every day he stole a silver dollar and he was putting them up in his attic. And so many years have gone by. His attic is, is full of money. And one day, and I believe this was a true story, while he slept, uh, there was dry rot uh, holding up the attic and the wood in the attic. And that attic caved in. And all them silver coins that he stole fell on him and crushed him. And he died. I mean, Think about that. He stored up his own judgment. I mean, every time you put another coin up there, uh, it weighed a little bit more and it weighed a little bit more. And it finally all caved in on him. And that's how he died. And so when God says that they're storing up wrath, when someone just rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord and rejects the Lord, every rejection you're going to give an account for every single rejection. Who wants that when you could receive the Lord and, and have a clean slate? The person that receives the Lord, God said, all your sins are washed away. It's gone. You are you are clean Jew now with him who's able to present you faultless before the Lord. That, that's what God does for the believer. But for the person that rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects, God said you are. It's like storing up that wrath. It's getting heavy. It's going to fall one day and it's going to be horrific. We don't want to be in that place where, again, that's what the religious people here were doing. If you notice, too, that religious people in Scripture reject those are the ones that rejected Jesus. In the Gospels, it was the religious, the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm sorry, the Pharisees and Sadducees that rejected Jesus because what? It's not how we it's not how we wanted it to be. You come into Acts and it was the the Judaizers that were rejecting the gospel because now we, we want our rules. You got to get circumcised. We, you guys, that gospel is too easy. It's not enough rules. You got to you, you, you got to do that and be circumcised. And so Paul said, that's another gospel. That's not the right gospel. It's the religious folk that have a hard time receiving all this from the Lord. But when I read it, I think, who wants that? Who wants some? Uh, anybody here want some extra rules to follow? I don't. It's enough. I got my hands full. Already. I don't need an extra rule. I got my hands full just doing what I already know uh, with God's help. And so those are the people that end up struggling with what God is providing, what God is doing. Moving on now, it says, so they were storing up wrath for themselves. Verse six, who will render to each one according to his deeds? And so just a reminder there that God is going to be the one to mete out judgment. He's going to render to everyone according to their deeds. It'll be him and it'll be in righteousness. God's judgment will not be mistaken. It won't be wrong. His judgment will be accurate and he's going to mete it out. So verse seven, it's a continuation of how God judges. This is the judgment of, of non-believers. It says uh, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also of the Greeks. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. And so, in that section here, you got two groups. You got God's judgment for the unrighteous and you got God's mercy to the righteous, how he deals with them. There's a different judgment for non-believers than believers. And I want to give you the verses so you can know these things, because I think we should know them. Uh, we write notes for the non-believers judgment will happen in Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. It's called the great white throne judgment. There won't be any Christians here. So if you're Christian and you're born again, you will never see this great white throne. Uh, you won't have to worry about it. But if someone's not saved, this is where the judgment of the unrighteous, those that have rejected Christ, this is where they end up. I'm going to read Revelation 20 verses 10 through 15. It says the devil 
who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and who's from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works that then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the judgment for everyone that says, I don't want Jesus. This is what's going to happen to them in the end. There's going to be a judge. There'll be a final judgment. God is the judge. He knows everything that you've ever done. There's books. There's the Lamb's book of life. Their name's not found in it. Then there's these other books. Every deed you have ever done, every sin ever committed in thought and action and deed is there. It's recorded. And just like someone going to court, having their crime read out, this is your and you're being indicted for this, that bang, bang, bang. You don't get to have a, a attorney to speak your case because God said, I know for a fact you did it. Bam. Now you can't stand before a holy God. Everybody at the great white throne, when they're done having their sins read out, they're cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Some people don't know that's the reality, but we don't want that. This is why we preach the gospel to non-believers. We don't want this for people. And this is why we respond to the gospel ourselves because we don't want this for us. But that's the final judgment for the non-believer. Now, for the Christian, it's quite different. For the Christian, there's a judgment, but it's not a judgment unto condemnation. Uh, it's something that we call the Bema seat judgment. For the Christian, your sins, they're gone. So there's no thought for the believer. You're not going to your sins aren't going to be drugged back up. I know you I forgave you, but I still want to talk to you about it. That's not going to happen. And which we can all be glad about. God says your sins as far as the east is from the west. They're not there anymore. So then what are we judged on? Anybody know? For, for a million Jesus dollars in heaven. OK, we're judged about our works. Right. Since I'm saved. And I get to go to the Bema Seat Judgment. It's a the Bema Seat Judgment has more the idea of I'm going to see what reward I get. I'm going to have my works sifted through. God's going to take my works and he's going to expose them to his light. And the things that stand, they'll receive eternal reward. Uh, there'll be things that are wood, hay and stubble. Things that may have been done with wrong motivation. Things that may have been done without the right heart. And they're going to just burn up. No reward for those things. But there'll be things that were done out of pure motives and a right heart that are gold and silver and precious metals. Those things God is going to reward you for. And those rewards are eternal. They never burn up. They're never taken away. Our judgment is just to go see how do we do? How do we do? Uh, Lord, I, you know, I, we, I, I was saved at this age. I served you for this long. And and now I get to present all that I've done before you. And you're going to sift through two verses. I'd like you to write down one. We're going to come up to later in Romans. It's Romans chapter 14. You can write down verses 10 through 12. Romans 14, it says, but why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it goes on. But that's what it's speaking of there. We're going to ultimately stand before him in judgment one day and he will judge our works. Write down also 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 
And Second Corinthians chapter five, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat. That's where we get the word Bema in the Greek. It's Bema, the Bema seat of the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I trust are well known in your consciousness in your conscience. Um, for the believer, again, there is a judgment, but it's not unto sin. It's not our sins are not being dug up or dealt with. God is looking at your works. And so I would encourage every believer. Um, judgment is off of us. We should be glad for that. That should be why we live for the Lord, while we worship the Lord, while we walk with the Lord because of what he's already done. Um, we're not working to earn favor with God for the believer because God has already been so good. We, sh- we look for opportunity to serve him. We look for opportunity to glorify him with our lives because of what he's already done. We're not earning brownie points with God. Nobody in service here at this church is, is earning. We're, it's not, we're not on a scale. We're not trying to beat each other out, outserve one another. We're all just saying, God, I'm, I'm just glad to be on the team. I'm, I'm excited for my opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. Uh, but but there, there's the opportunity for rewards. Um, the Bible tells us Jesus encouraged his disciples. He said, you know what? Don't store up treasure on earth. Rust and corrupted where thieves break in and steal it. He said, you know what? Store your treasure up in heaven where neither moths or dust can corrupt it where thieves don't break in. And steal. He encourages us to do things that matter for eternity. My encouragement to you uh, challenge my encouragement as we look at judgment and how we're not the judge and all these different things. This is my encouragement. That everybody here would consider your life, what you're doing with it. If you're saved and you know that you've escaped the judgment of God, the wrath of God, um, and one, and then obviously, I hope that we learn through this chapter that we should not be, we shouldn't be harsh, judgmental people. We should be people that, through the mercy been shown us, we ought to be really effective at reaching lost people for the Lord, sharing with them what the Lord has shared with us. Number two, we need to be careful that. Somebody, if you're a Christian, somebody come and challenge you on something that we're not we're not the ones running around talking about. You can't judge me. You know, don't judge me that that we understand that there's a place for Christians to rebuke, exhort, challenge, correct one another with the word of God. That's a healthy thing. And nobody here is above it. No one here is above someone else coming and saying, hey, word says this. Parents, you're not above your kids doing it. You know, nobody is above it. Just within the body, we got to be open to one another. And it's love, right? The Bible says that, what is it? Open love, open rebuke is better than silent love. Um, if I really love you and I see something wrong, God said, it's more loving for me to openly come to you and say, I'm going to just say this to you. That's more loving than to be quiet and to just watch you do wrong. It's more loving. because You know what? It's hard to do. Anybody ever had to correct somebody? Especially somebody you look up to, that's hard. It takes, you got to like, man, what are they going to say? They're going to get mad. You got you to get all over yourself. It's a hard thing to do, but, but this, it's a loving thing to do. It's biblical. So we want to be able to do that lovingly. We want to receive it lovingly from one another. And lastly, I, there's one thing I hope we grasp. I hope you grasp the goodness of God to you. Because I think that'll, 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 just, that'll challenge the way we do everything. When I meditate on his goodness to me, it's just hard. How do, how do I get judgmental after that? How do I become spiritually nasty and hardened when I meditate on how good he's been to me, how good he was in the past, how good he's been to me right now? And even my security in the future, 
that God's got this for me. He's going to continue to minister to me in that way. And so my prayer for us as a group, as a body of believers, is that what God has done for us would also flow through us and minister to each other. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he works his way through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul dove into the mysteries of faith in this letter to the church in Rome, drawing on a rich history found in the Old Testament. He looks back to the faith of Abraham, which was counted to him as righteousness. This is what he had to say about the patriarch in chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Since we get to participate in the righteousness that comes through faith, let's set our hearts and minds on the power of God to do everything he had promised. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us today. There's so much more that Paul gave us through the letter to the Romans, from deep theology to practical instructions on how to live. You won't want to miss a message, and we've made it easy for you to stay connected through Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. But we also have a free mobile app with access to our messages. To find out, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab to find a plethora of messages in our mobile app. While you're on the website, take a look around. We have a lot more available to you, including a daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll see you here next time, where we will again bring you a transforming word.